the night before Christmas went all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nick soon would be there. Ah, but the children were all nestled, all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama and her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap when out on the lawn there rose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, I tore open the shutters and I threw up the sash. The moon and the beast of the fallen, new fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below when what to my wondering eyes should appear. I love that story. I love a lot of the little Christmas stories, and obviously that's just a part of us. But once we start with that little frame, that simple statement was the night before Christmas. Uh, I don't know about you, but we all probably get just a little bit nostalgic. We begin to think about when our parents may have read that story to us, or we would have read that story to our kids, or we still continue to do that. I don't know about you, but, but, but Christmas, while there's some, uh, some difficult and probably some negative things, I, I do have a tendency to really focus and um, remember more clearly some of those romantic things that took place at Christmas time in my life. But while we have such a romantic notion, I mean, from everything from these beautiful Christmas cards to the trees and the ornamentation and everything, you know, the first Christmas really wasn't that pretty. It really wasn't all that nice. They didn't have sugar plums dancing in their heads. They were really trying to eke out their survival and simply make it. And we're going to see in the Christmas narrative really a difficult pattern, but I think it's a life pattern that oftentimes takes place in our lives. And I want to look today, beginning with Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we're going to look at the dreams of Christmas. And I suppose the best way we could probably narrate this is to say it was the nightmare of Christmas, because there was a lot of nightmares. There's a lot of dreams, as you're going to see. We're going to look at five dreams and it seems as though each dream is followed with a nightmare. So let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. That says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together. And you know what come together means? No? Okay. It means they did not consummate their relationship yet. But she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So here's the first dream. St. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Go ahead. Take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and his name shall be Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. See, that's really the, the, the bottom line. That scripture is so chock full of powerful, wonderful, grace-giving, hope-filling theology, because it really is all about two things. Jesus came for two things to be Emmanuel, God with us, to show us who God is, and secondly, to save us 
to give his life as a ransom to save us from our sins. And note verse 22, it says, now all of this, everything that we had just read, took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Now before this dream, you've got to imagine Joseph found his dream girl. Luke tells us in chapter 1 that she was beautiful. She was full of grace. She was pure. She was holy. She was spiritual. She loved God. One of the greatest women, if not the greatest in the history of humanity. And Joseph finds her, plucks her out of all of the Marys of Israel. And he's looking forward to a real Merry Christmas with her. But... Some of you or most of us are probably aware of the story. Things begin to unfold and then they begin to unravel very quickly. Here's his dream girl. He's fallen in love with, he's chosen her. They're betrothed. They're in love. So smitten in love. Looking forward to this new life together. Here comes the nightmare. Matthew 1.18. Can you imagine being Joseph? Think about this, guys. Allow kind of the, the emotion, the pathos of this just to envelop your thinking. This beautiful, pure, chosen girl, your choice, comes to you and says, Joseph, can we talk? Well, sure, honey. I'm pregnant. And he knows he's not the father because it's very clear he has not come with her. He has not been with her. And the Bible notes, though, that he's this righteous man. And, and, and he hasn't been with her before this. And now all of a sudden he hears these words and his dreams and hopes for their future life together spirals downward into this deep, dark nightmare. I mean, this is the likes of which Stephen King couldn't produce. And then she tops it with these words. Um, God's the father. So Joseph thinks about it, and he ponders his options. What, 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 what he could have done is he literally could have exposed her, potentially had her stoned because of immorality, but because he's a righteous man and because he loves this girl, he makes this determination, I am just going to put her away. And you have to understand what it says that he's going to divorce her. Once in, in that culture, once they were betrothed, it's almost like being married, except there was, that their betrothal kind of led to the continual, continual dating. They didn't consummate the marriage. But it was really as binding as what our marriage is. And to divorce somebody, you would have had to give them a, a divorce certificate, which would have been very similar to the divorces that we would experience today. So think about Joseph's thoughts. Why would she? How could she? What about my dreams? What about my desires? What about our hopes together? So then he gets dream number one. Now here's the little dream from God. He had his dream. He found his dream girl. But the first dream, as we read about, comes. And God comes to him and gives him a promise. And he says, Joseph, listen. Look, it's all right. It's really of me. It's not what you think. From her, from your bride-to-be, is going to come Yeshua, the Messiah, 
the one that has been prophesied for years, the one that everybody has been waiting for. She's coming. She's, she's, she, the, the, he's going to come through your bride. He's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to save people from their sins. You have the greatest privilege of all. He's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. But first, he's going to be with you in your home. I, I don't know how Joseph would have felt, but I can only imagine the feeling of maybe renewed hope. Ah, okay, good. But then there's another nightmare. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says that Caesar Augustus, he orders this census to organize the people so that he could tax them. So everyone has to travel back to their homeland so that they could sign up for the census in their, in their literal homeland to be accounted for so that the taxation could take place. Now Mary is months along in her pregnancy. And they've got to travel 70 miles south on terrible terrain, rocky, rugged roads. They've got to travel by donkey to get taxed and to get counted. And the coup de grace is as they're going down there, they head into town, guess what? I can't find a place to stay. There's nobody there. I mean, there's no rooms. There's no room at the inn. You got to remember, Mary's probably, she could probably be anywhere from 15 to 19 years old. And you think, well, that's probably not a big deal back then. Well, you know what? Listen, I can tell you about a big deal that is. When, when Trina and I were dirt poor and we were youth pastors and uh, we, we'd have to take kids and students up to uh, EBC New Hope for different activities and we drove up there one time, and we didn't want to stay and sleep on the floor with these kids because we had driven for, I don't know, eight, nine, ten hours. And I said, okay, honey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to really splurge. I'm going to get us a place to stay. And that makes me chuckle because what made me thought of this is I, I was in Eugene in Portland this uh, last week for a couple of days doing some coaching. And coming down, I think, it's, I think they call it the Jefferson Street Bridge, coming into Eugene down on 7th Avenue, uh, as you the stoplight there, there's this little hotel. I mean, it's just a skanky little place. But, but it, was, it, it used to have this little neon light that said $29.95 back in the 80s when, we, when I was going to take Trina there. And I said, honey, let's go here. And she goes, this isn't her words, but I can't remember what she said, but something like, man, that's really skanky. Are you sure? <laughs> and I said, yeah, honey, that's, 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 about, that's about the best I can do for you. And uh, so, okay, well, I guess it beats the floor of the college. And so we go in there after dropping off the students and we get our key and we walk in there and it's like shag carpet from the 60s and it's all matted and it's green and there's Cheetos on the floor. And she walks in and she looks around and she goes, uh-uh, I will sleep in the van. And uh, so it, you have to understand that for a woman, it's pretty important, even a young one, even an impoverished one. And so she's got to find a place to stay. She goes into a cave where there's all these animals, a feeding trough where Jesus is going to be born. But they get through that and we come to dream number two. You'll see it in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Time has passed. As you know, that when the wise men come to visit Jesus and they bring the frankincense, mirror and gold, that Jesus, is, he could be anywhere from probably a minimum of six months to upwards of two years old. 
So this is the dream that comes true. This impoverished couple trying to squeak out a living as they're raising the Messiah. And all of a sudden, these three wise men, well, it wasn't necessarily three, but these wise men come and they bring gifts. And what are these gifts? Frankincense, myrrh, and gold, which have great representation. It's not really, I'm not going to share with that right now because it's another whole teaching, but they bring these three things. You know what those, things, you know what those three things did for them? It basically provided resources for their trip. That's how they used, because they could have been traveling upwards of a couple of years from the time they saw the star that, that, that shined to bring them to Jesus. So they come and they give these gifts to this little couple. And you have to understand, man, this is like the Brinks truck backing up to their personal ATM machine. And now it's cha-ching, we got some cash. We can make it. We're no longer impoverished, and they give them these gifts, and obviously they present them to Jesus. But the parents and the family would have used them to support themselves for a while. So it's like, man, it's like, it's like winning a mini lotto. They finally can afford to do something, and you've got to believe, man. Oh, man, happy days are here again. Pack up your bags and leave your troubles behind. We're going to make it. But as you guessed it, after the dream of this great provision that comes, it was their dream. It wasn't a dream from God, but God provides this dream of, of meeting their needs and their provision. And you guessed it, there's another nightmare. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, says that an angel come to jo Joseph and begins to warn him that there's something up. And so this, this dream comes to the wise men. And they have this dream, and they're told not to go back to Herod because something's going on. And Herod realizes now that they're not going to be coming back, that they're not returning. He's worried. And in a jealous rage, he's envious, he's angry because he's heard that there's this little king that's born, and he's concerned that somehow this little king is going to come and grow up and begin to usurp his authority in his rightful place at that time on the throne. And so darkness begins to descend. But there's another dream. We see it in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And after they had gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take your child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and they escaped to Egypt. Wow, Jesus, they're warned, God warns them. There's this divine warning for this little family. They're warned ahead of time. I can imagine Joseph thinking, oh man, Father, thank you. You've spared me. You've spared my family. You've spared your child. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for the dream that saved us from another nightmare. <laughs> but, but, but right on schedule, the nightmare does come. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. It says that reports are circulating around that there's a bloodbath that has begun and that all boys two years and under are to be slaughtered by Herod because of his jealous and envious tirade and this threat of the, this ensuing baby potentially becoming king. So he says we will kill every boy child two years and under. Now imagine how their hearts must have sagged how they would have been broken realizing 
that the people that they knew, that they grew up with all throughout the area are now losing their, their son. And probably very quickly they could tie it to the fact that this madman Herod is killing them because of their son. And so now they're going back to Egypt. And you can imagine what kind of a nightmare that would be. Not only many of their friends losing their sons, but now they're going to be going back to Egypt. Why Egypt? This is the place where our ancestors were held captive for over 400 years and enslaved. We got to go back there. And so they go back. Ah, but Matthew 2, verse 19, we get another dream. A dream comes again. The word of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, return to your homeland. Go back to Israel. And imagine Joseph now, honey, pack your bags. Our dream is finally coming true. Herod is dead. We get to go home. We get to see our friends. We get to be with our family. What a dream. After all this up and down. But you're right. There's quickly another nightmare. There's a problem, not so fast. This nightmare follows because Herod dies, but his son Archelaus follows him, and he starts his own reign of terror. And it's not too long later that he literally, he slaughters 3,000 people, innocent people. And so this bloodshed continues, and God says, I've got another plan for you. I can't have you go back to that bloody, cruel leader at that time. So Joseph and his family, they get spared again as they receive this dream now in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22. God protects them. But of course, there's another nightmare. Matthew 2, verse 23 says this. God says, because of Herod's son there, I want you to head back. I want you to go to Nazareth. What's the big deal about that? We have to understand Nazareth. The the, the name literally means a a twig, a sprout. Remember remember what Nathaniel said about uh, Nazareth in John chapter 1? I believe it's around verse 16. He said, what good can come out of Nazareth? It was Podunkville. It is not a place anybody would want to go. It would be like a city slicker being sent to the rural farms of Iowa. Long to be forgotten. So now they've got the nightmare in Nazareth. They don't get to go home. As you can see from the Christmas narrative, loved ones, that there's dreams and there's nightmares and there's dreams and there's nightmares. There's five times, there's five dreams that happen in this short period of time. And every one of them is followed by a new twist and a new turn. This season, I love it. I love all the pageants. I love all the things that are performed, the plays that are produced, the dramas that are acted out all over the country in churches. But I want you to catch what's literally taking place in this real-life pageantry. It's nothing like what we experienced. This was the, the, the night before, this is, was the night of the nightmare of the Christmas story. And I think there's some really important things that this can teach us. Number one, uh, there is a divine pattern to God's work. God is at work in and through everything. See, we can get warm and fuzzy over all of these stories, and I do. I 
That's one of the reasons why I love this season. I love the nostalgia. I, love, I just love the, the, the good feelings that it brings. But think for a moment if you were Joseph living out this drama of dream and nightmare, promises and hopes in your heart, nightmares. See, he didn't have our perspective. He couldn't look back. He only had to trust what he knew and what he heard from God. Looking back, we know something else is taking place. God is up to something. But Joseph didn't fully understand it. He couldn't fully revel in it. Even though it was being revealed to him, he still had to walk it out in faith. And there's a key word. If you go through chapter 1 and 2 from verse 21 on where I started reading today, you'll see this key word. And it's the word fulfill. After almost every nightmare, guess what takes place, it says. And these things happened to fulfill the words of the prophets. The words of the prophet Isaiah, the words of the prophet Micah, the words of the prophet Hosea, all of these different prophets speaking at different times, declaring this has to happen. This will happen. And it all takes place. See, this Christmas drama is a script that has been written out by God in the scriptures. It's produced and played out on the stage of human history. Don't forget, the producer is Father God. The director is the Holy Spirit who's leading and guiding everything. And Jesus, well, we all know what he is. He's the star of this powerful production. See, Mary, Joseph, the wise men, Caesar, Herod, the shepherds, all of those people, they're, they're simply the staging. They're the platform upon which the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit act out this drama. Well, what's the point? What are you saying? Never forget this, loved ones, that God is work in your story. God is at work in your story today. See, just like the triune God was at work scripting out and producing this whole drama called the Christmas story, the Christmas narrative. The same is true for your life and for my life. And it's so important to know that for your life, that's what's taking place. Okay, well, what am I? <laughs> You're simply the floor. You're simply the platform for which Jesus can be seen. Is, is that the reason sometimes I feel like I'm just getting stepped on in life? Yeah. Is that the reams, reason sometimes my dreams seem to be followed with a nightmare or preceded by a nightmare? Absolutely. You mean I'm not the star of this show? No. You mean I'm not even the producer? Sorry. I can't direct it? Uh-uh. It's all about Jesus. And you become the stage and the platform from which his life is going to be seen. See, God is work at your story. He's directing. And when you come to him, loved ones, and follow him, you will experience dreams and nightmares, tragedy, tragedy and triumph, heartbreak and elation. See, we hope, we all want, we pray and believe and just wish our life would just go, ooh. But very seldom do you see in the Christmas narrative, in biblical narratives of people in the scriptures that they didn't go, Dream, nightmare, dream, nightmare, dream. And see, all of this comes to our life. Why? So that God's purposes might be fulfilled in us and through us. So that the star at this season 
can continually be born in us and seen through us. See, here's what I'm learning about Christmas. I got to trust this Lord because he's sovereign and he's in charge. He does all things right. If you read Galatians chapter four, verse four, it says this very clearly. It says that in the time, in the right time, in the purposeful time of God, he sent Jesus. And there's a whole lot of history behind why that was the right time, the purposeful time. See, I think he should have waited until, you know, 2000 or something. We have all this technology. We could have, you know, done all these really great things. But no, he sends them in that first century. And he sends them in the right time in history. And everything that was taking place made it possible for his life to be exposed and to be seen. See, some of the drama and difficulty that you and I face, let's face it, it's because of the decisions we make, the choices we act on, the things that we do. But never forget this, loved ones, even in the midst of that, God is at work. And God is at work writing the script and the drama of your life. And absolutely, there are times when he's doing rewrites because of our decisions. But he's at work. Romans 8, 28. Eight says this, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes and who love him. Hear me, not some, not a few, not I sure hope, all things. And we have to live in that sense of reality because like Joseph, like Mary, we, we, we might have a promise of something for our future, but we don't see it right now. It's not always clear. And we have to do what they did. Walk by faith, receive the dreams, live through the nightmares. Come back to the things that God's going to do in us and fulfill through us. That's why my life verse is so important to me. That's why there's not a week that goes by, sometimes days in a row, where I just get up and say, Lord, this is, if I'm confident of this very thing, that you started me. You said you're going to complete me until the day I die or Jesus comes. That's my hope for today. Because I've got dreams in my life. I've got things that I believe God's spoken to me for my life, for my family, for this church. I haven't seen them yet. And sometimes I feel like I'm living through different nightmares of seeing them come about. But this is what I believe. In God's time, those things will be fulfilled. Why? Because I'm confident. I've got his word that says, be confident. What I've started in you will begin in you. I will finish for you. See, how do we deal with these difficulties and the issues of our life? How do we get through them so that we can be overcomers and not overcome by them? I think we have to come back to the word, loved ones, where we really understand that God is at work at fulfilling things in us and through us. And we have to live on the basis of what he says in his words, that we purpose to live in the light of his truth, his reality, not the facts that we face. See, we all have dreams and plans and there have been in our lives for many of us all these plots and twists and turns and drama that we don't understand. And most of us, in many cases, will never understand them this side of heaven. There are things in your life and my life that I would never script and I would never write in and I would never want them to be a part of my life. And yet, guess what? Those become some of the gems and the shining points where you can use them to speak of God's grace and power and love and oversight in your life. At any point, guess what? Joseph could have bailed out from the beginning. He could have said, I'm getting rid of this broad. 
You know, I didn't want to hook up with some kind of floozy that faked me out because I thought she was something else that she wasn't. No, he stayed with it because he was a righteous man and he trusted God. Based on the facts, his reality wasn't good, was it? He, 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 there was very little light at the end of his tunnel. And the deeper he got a lot of times, the worse it got. But you know what Joseph did? He learned to trust. He learned to look to the Father. And even when the drama and the facts screamed otherwise, he kept doing and obeying what he was told to do. Isn't it the same for you and I, loved ones? Probably in the last month, there's people in this room right now, you've had to make decisions. Am I going to stay with her or am I going to bail out? And you can fill in the blank of whatever bail out means. I could probably give you four or five right now, but I'll, I'll just let you think. How about your marriage? For some, it'd be easy to bail out based on the facts. The script hasn't been a good one for you. And you're wondering, why am I sticking around? It's because we don't live on the basis of facts. We live on the basis of faith. We look to God. We believe he brought us together. Oh, yeah, we had a choice of it or a choice in it. But ultimately, we got to believe that God's sovereign work brought us together. And because of that, we can stick it out. We don't need to bail. Some of us. We have financial issues and we're waiting for God to provide provision. Hey, I'd take one of those wise men coming to my place, you know, you know give me a couple of bricks of gold, that'd be great. Everything would be great. They had to wait months for that. Maybe up to two years. I don't know what your time frame is. I don't know what God's time frame is. Maybe some of us are looking for some character help. God's at work in you. Work with them. Maybe you're looking for a future. You say, there's something going on in my future that I'm waiting for. Keep waiting. Trust God. Some of you might be in a brutal season right now where you just feel like there's just a lot of bloodletting and your, your personal pain. Feel like there's a lot of stops, stops and a lot of starts. You're in an unknown season. You're waiting for something to be birthed of God's spirit in your life. Hear me. If you wait, if you watch, if you trust his truth to be fulfilled in the stage of your great story that is intersected with his great life, it'll be lived out. And this is what's so powerful. It'll be seen by others. There's another dreamer who really is a great picture of Jesus. You'll see it in Genesis chapter 39 through 50 in the book of Genesis. One of the most powerful stories because we think all these patriarchs, all these biblical guys, man, they've got this, and women, they've got this beautiful sheen on them and they've got this veneer that's just, oh, it's so glossy. But if you just begin to peel away the first layer, if you pull the curtain back, you see all the problems and difficulties and issues and um, disloyalties and unfairness that all of these major players of God's history experienced. But guess what? If you really go behind the scene, you'll get to see God's at work. And you know the people that made it? You know the people that stuck to it? You know the people that got ahead? And you know the people that made it to the end were the people that trusted God? And if there's anybody that could have and should have bailed out, it was Joseph. I don't have time to go through his whole story, but literally his story is just like this, a dream, a nightmare, dream, a nightmare. 
And then at the end, when he could have taken retribution on the very people that were most disloyal to him, sold them out, wanted to kill him, treated him badly, he takes them and he blesses them. And after all these years of mistreatment, God still raises him up to a place to be able to do significant things. And when his brothers and his family come to him and said, are you going to kill us? You know what his words are in Genesis chapter, I think it's 44 and 50? He says, no. No, don't beat yourself up over this. Everything that has happened in my life isn't because of you. It's because God is at work to raise me up and prepare me for such a time as this so that I can save the lives of many. And I believe this, loved ones. I believe it for me. I believe it for you. Any difficulties that we have faced in our life, any difficulties that we will face in our life, they will either become gems of God's grace or they'll be charcoal that we show everybody and raise up in bitterness and hurt and pain because we can't control everything. But God is large. He's in charge. Some of you are waiting for direction. Trust him. Some of you are waiting for provision. Look to him. Some of you are, feel like you're living in Podunkville. Make the most of it. Some of you need to dream again. Hear his voice anew. He is not done with you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you are today. God is not done with you. Don't jump ship. Don't get off the stage. Return back to the one who came for you, gave his life for you, raised, him, raised up for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose. He's got a destiny. And it may not be as big as some, but it's big enough for you. Keep your dreams greater than your memories. Don't be tethered to your past and don't even get locked into your present, but begin to seek again and to hear again the voice of God for your life and your present and your future because that will be the tether that keeps you going when you get a dream followed by a nightmare. There's a divine pattern to God's work. His purposes are greater than ours when you live for Him and His purposes. 